0: bits and buzz get to sit down with a really special guest gabe Riley from collective now if you haven't heard of collective they've been featured on such sites as Hodinky, monochrome revolution and even watch now i'm not going to spoil anything right here in the intro you'll just have to listen to the episode for that so get ready and sit back because it's time for another episode of the whiskey and watches podcast
1: all right, everybody. Welcome to episode thirty-five of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Uh, we're excited to have Gabe from the Collective with us. Um, uh, you know they, they they do some pretty uh, pretty neat stuff out there on the West Coast. So, Gabe, welcome to the show,
0: gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, um, and, and and Gabe is actually one of our listeners, so he knows that we start with a uh, a drink check and a wrist check. So, what are you drinking and uh, what are you wearing, Gabe?
0: All right. So I was inspired by, uh, by Wes Quack from notice. So we'll call this Cap going California style. I've got Eagle rare bourbon, <laughs> which I know you guys will appreciate. Hopefully you can get your hands on it. Um, yeah. And then I've got a beer, which is a, a Poseidon uh, dive, 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 which is an, an IPA from a, from a local brewer out here where I live in uh, in Southern California. So i have got whiskey and beer. Nice. Oh, and I got, I got to do the wristwatch check. Yeah, that. I had rem- See, I know the format. I reminded myself, guys. <laughs> I, caught, I caught myself. Yeah. Um, cool. I'm wearing an IWC uh, IW3706. So this is a pilot's chronograph. It was actually the first IWC pilot's chronograph, uh, which ran from about the mid-90s to the mid-2000s. This example I've got is probably from about the year um, 2000 based on you know, esoteric shit that only people who really care about IWC know, but it's an awesome watch. I, I love it. Um, and we can, we can talk about IWC and, and pilots chronographs and stuff like that, but it's just an incredibly well-made watch that for uh, about 20 years ago was way ahead of its time in terms of, um, you know, defining the category of the pirate pilots chronograph, but then I think really besting its competition in terms of build quality uh, fit and finish um, and it was the platform on which the more famous, uh, I think it's the 3711, the doppel chrono, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that, uh, Keith Hobring had designed, um, was, was based on. So it's based on the same kind of watch. This is, you know, this is the cheapo version, but, um, it's, it, a, it's an awesome watch and I don't know why I love it, but I, I but I love it. How about you guys?
2: Buzzy, go ahead. All right. All right. Yeah. I, I like the, uh, the Cali style. I'm going to start using that in my, my daily life, you know, drinking both a beer and a whiskey at the same time. <laughs> and I, I, I do like, I, I saw in one of the articles, um, that, that you were on, you had a uh, Naren Gansett, uh, lager t-shirt on. So I, I love Gansett. That's, that's good. Uh, good inexpensive, uh, beer from, from the East, but, uh,
0: yeah, yeah this my mom's know. family is from is from that area around kind of Providence. So uh, yeah. Narragansett is huge. Good beer,
2: yeah, i I like it quite a bit. But, okay, I'm sorry to all of our listeners out there. I mean, we've got one fewer because Gabe is on uh, with us for the- <laughs> so
0: yeah, literally two people are hearing this.
2: yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am sorry that I've been away from from this podcast for so long. Two episodes, terrible. You're wandering through the desert.
1: I'm the only constant in
2: their life right now. I'm the only constant. Listening to a much better podcast because my inane nonsense wasn't on there. So I had to think, what should I drink for my triumphant return to this podcast? If you're listening, you know what it is. (laughs) That's right, Costco whiskey. Beverage-tasting. Uh, <laughs> the classics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never gets old, does it? Never does. <laughs> Never does. It scored 91 points, everyone. 91 points a light on a hill. Delicious and nutritious. I love this silly stuff. Now, um, the watch, the, the more important thing. Um, I am wearing my Manta SkyQuest, and that... SkyQuest was the whole reason that I know Gabe, because Gabe sold it to me on, <laughs> on Rolex forums a couple months ago, I want to say.
0: Um, yeah. And if, if Mike and Justin are listening, I did no such thing. I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but I noticed you picked that watch up. It's great. I've got the same one.
2: <laughs> it, uh yeah, it's, it's a fantastic watch. I actually just put it on a uh, Cincy Strap Co. Uh, rubber strap with the, the fitted ends. I uh, have the black one with the red accents, which works perfectly with the red GMT hand and all the little red plots on the Riho and um, the, the red SkyQuest name. So, really, really like that uh, combination. Um, it's, uh, excellent, uh, excellent piece. Quite, uh, quite fun. Suspense. what about you?
1: So I, uh, well, I, I just finished one whiskey and then I just finished, uh, poured myself a second and that finished another bottle. Um, but you don't have a problem. Correct. I don't have a problem. (laughs) No, I don't have a problem. No. Uh, so, uh, we will talk a little bit about, um, this will kind of give away the date, but um, I'm drinking my whiskey out of my Oris bear mug uh, that I got as part of the uh, Red Bar Global Meetup swag box that Oris was kind enough to send. So I have just finished a bullet bourbon frontier whiskey um, that they also sent with said mug out of said mug. Um, And, you know, I I like bullets rye and I had really never tried their bourbon. I'm sure I've had it before. It's it's a very solid, good drinker, so I, no complaints there. But then I also uh, just finally killed my bottle of Willet uh pot still whiskey that I've got because the bottle is oddly shaped and takes up too much space on my shelf, and I finally restocked, so I needed to get rid of it. Um, there wasn't that much left anyway. So that is what I'll be drinking for the remainder of the show. Um, and if I need a third one, then maybe I do have a problem. Um, and then on the wrist, again, because it was Red Bar Global Meetup Day, uh, and I was, you know, going to be drinking out of the Oris mug, I threw on the Oris uh, uh, Pro Pilot X that we somehow still managed to have uh, on loan from Oris. Um, this thing is just—it's great. I was winding up the power reserve again today because it fell down to like three days, and you know, it's—it's it's like my grandpa always said—you really never should let your gas tank get below a quarter of a tank. Um, you always just make sure that you always have gas just in case. So it was down to three days and I wound it back up to seven. Figured a week on the power reserve scale is uh, is good enough for me. I don't need to go all the way to 10. Um, so, yeah,
0: What's the etiquette for returning a loaner watch like that? So
1: because This they, is bordering
0: on theft. <laughs> <laughs> or does it depend fa- on, the, fa- on the state?
1: In fairness, I will say I've kept track of it. We've had them for still for less time than the girls from 10 and 2 had theirs. Now, they also at some point did buy theirs. So I don't know. I don't really know what's expected here. Um, but they didn't send us a return label. <laughs> the other oh, watches have yeah,
0: gotten it on, on them. Ones, that's on them. They got to send the return label.
1: Yeah. yeah no, I mean, that.
2: Anyway. Well, do they really have to? I mean. <laughs>
1: So, no, I mean, I, I've been talking with BJ. We're still on the up and up. We're good. Uh, Buzzy's going to finally finish his Oris Diver 65 Chrono review yes. that should probably be out on Zeit's watches before this podcast airs. So I if agree. it isn't, then we've got other problems. <laughs> yeah, I have been wearing that for,
2: for most of the previous week. And uh, I, I, I love that, that little spaceship. It is uh, it is sweet. The crystal alone and uh makes it but um i I really like the the most interesting views of that watch are all from kind of oblique angles Uh, it puts Mm -hmm. on a clinic on how to take a thick-ish case and make it look completely svelte um just just with the the right just with the right contouring on the side. And then with the distortion that you get from a domed crystal uh, like that, it's it's really a lot of fun to, to look at the markers kind of obliquely. Um, I, uh, I've taken some pictures. Uh, they'll probably go up on Instagram at, at some point. Great thing about no-date watch. Can't tell when I took it. Um. <laughs>
1: this guy. Yeah.
2: Life yeah. hack, yeah, <laughs> it, it helps when you're you're garbage at posting pictures. It, you know, I'll take any bit of uh bit of help I can get.
0: Yeah, I feel like it, Oris does a great job with the with the crystals in terms of like the distortions that they get, especially on on the domed crystals you get on the Diver sixty five. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's really a pleasure to look at from angles, and and sometimes you can't even tell it's like the dial stepped or curved, or the hands uh, curved. And yeah, the uh, the mid the, Oris just nails the mid case. Like they'll take any watch, um, and, and they'll make it sort of look half its thickness in terms of the way they approach, you know, do, separating the case back, the mid case, and, and uh, the bezel and, and crystal. And, and um, I I don't know why more people don't take a page from their book because they can really make kind of a, a an average sized watch feel really you know svelte and like a pleasure on the wrist.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I have smaller wrists and when I was wearing the 65 chrono, I was like, okay, 43 millimeters, almost, you know, 16 thick, but two of that's from the crystal. And it just, the way the contour and the case back kind of, I mean, I guess I'm lucky that it fits kind of in between the bones of my wrist and kind of sinks in a little bit. And it just, it's, it's, it wears phenomenally. Like for his, on paper, it shouldn't fit me that well. And in fairness on paper, this one shouldn't fit me this well. This one's 45. Um, I think, I think it's 45. I could be wrong, but it's, it's a big watch, you know, in di- from a diameter perspective, but the way the lugs curve and everything, it just, it hugs the wrist really nicely. And, you know, because it's titanium, it's super lightweight. So it's almost like, I almost, I almost would want to see what this is like in steel, but I may have, I may have told VJ that and he may have said, eh, just be patient.
0: Hmm. <laughs> so, hmm. Yeah. We're going to wait and see what Double happens in problem.
1: October. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, no, I mean, that that's the thing with case size in general, right? This has probably been talked to death. I feel like the watch world sort of careened towards 40, not 40 and really 39 millimeters uh, over the last couple of, of years, sort of mindlessly. And I think, you know, as a general rule of thumb, fine, and it depends on your taste and your wrist size and whatever. But, you know, for the platonic watch, you know, the ideal sort of watch 39, 40 millimeters, but it depends on so many things, the thinness of the watch, the case shape, the lug to lug, you know, frankly, like the, the end links or how, how a, uh, a strap wears. So I've got the, um, the current gen Omega C master um, professional sort of the, you know, the way the ceramic wave dial, got the same and <laughs> it's a big watch, you know, it's not messing around, but um, what's great about it is I've got it on the rubber strap, which on my minuscule, you know, wrist makes it much more wearable and the strap drops right down off the case, which is quite different if you're used to like, um, an oyster flex, uh, strap or like an Everest strap, which tend to bow out a little bit. Um, and so you really need kind of a bigger wrist to to wear those. Whereas with the Omega, since it just drops straight, it's like a sheer cliff, you know, like the rubber comes right down off, off the lugs. You can wear it on, on a, on a pretty small wrist and it doesn't look, crazy, you know, wears quite well, it's, er it's ergonomic. So, and I, you know, having seen the pro pilot X on, on your wrist, I wouldn't have guessed it's 45, you know, it has, has wrist presence, but it it doesn't look like, you know, a cartoon watch or, or or anything like that. So, you know, hopefully we can get to a a world where, you know, we're not constantly careening between, you know, 43 and above or, you know, 40 and, and, and below. And instead we kind of accept, uh, you know, have a more, tolerant view of diversity of, 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 sizes. I think, you know, the, th- that's <laughs> one thing I'd like to see along with, you know, moving on from the, 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 fixation on vintage, everything.
2: Yeah. I mean, it large number diameter watches can wear small. If anyone doubts me, go wear a Panerai. They yes. wear a lot smaller and more comfortably than those numbers would would suggest. Um, got to try on a friend of ours' uh, radio mirror. I probably butchered that pronunciation, uh, but just uh, just a pleasure, just just
1: a pleasure. And he's got six and a quarter inch wrists. Yes, yeah, Michael. But he's got like I thought I had. some, I, granted, I'm I'm closer to seven than I am to six and three quarters from a wrist perspective. Um, and he borrowed this. That's one of the reasons we've had these orises for for so long. Is right after we recorded with VJ, he did a global he did a meet up with our Red Bar chapter, and said, "Hey, if anybody wants to see what those guys have, like just just get them from them." So Mike took this watch. And I was like, "Oh, it fits you pretty good." Actually, I had to take two links out of it. I was like, "Holy shit!" (laughs) (laughs) He took two links out. I thought I had a little wrist, Um, but yeah. No, the 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 radio mirror looks fantastic on his wrist. I mean, it's it's those wire lugs, short lug to lug. It's it just it fits him really well. So, like we've talked about it on the show before, and you know, Gabe's mentioning it right now. Go try it on. Don't like, don't read the spec sheet, go try it on, see how it fits. Like if you have the opportunity to go try a watch on, like we're all watch nerds anyway. Like I take that opportunity for stuff. I'm not even thinking of buying. I got to try on a platinum Daytona the other day. No way is that ever anywhere close to the realm of possibility for the foreseeable future, but I had to feel how heavy it was. It was yeah, really heavy. I, it was really heavy.
0: It was <laughs> so I heavy. mean, you can literally you're right, you can try it, you know, you can try anything on. You know, I think a lot of times we have we create this like, you know, this ceiling in our mind of like, you know, I can only experience watches in a certain price point, right? Because of my my budget. And you know, you people do stupid things with money and you can do stupid things with with watches, but you can experience them you're right at a Red Bar event or dealer. Um Asher, who's my partner in in um collective he had the chance to uh to actually go hands-on with the with marlon brando's gmt master that oh, was up geez. for auction because he went he just walked up to an auction preview there's you know not, nothing stopping him i'm sure he had to like sign away all his rights or something like that to touch the watch but he got to put it on his wrist like for that's so cool but and actually, then turn around and walk away didn't have to <laughs> bid on it or you know it was yeah. so um you, you're right i mean it, it's it's probably smart to be financially responsible about the watches you decide to buy and, and, and own, but that's not the only way to, to experience a, a watch. Like I'm, I've never held a platinum Daytona, but you say that I'm like, yeah, actually I do kind of wonder like how heavy that actually is. Like I'd like it's to check it so out. Heavy. It's so heavy.
1: <laughs> like I, I, it was at, it was at our local dealer and I, I turned to my buddy and I said, I'm not strong enough to wear this. I don't think like, I, I really think, I would have to hit the gym to wear this on a daily basis. <laughs> like it Yeah, was... wait,
0: wait till you check out the lead Daytona.
1: Oh, the lead.
0: <laughs> it's coming. I've got a feeling. Of course
1: it is. Yeah. All black. Um, or like it's like an anthracite gray, because I feel like that's what color lead actually is not black, but it's it actually that wouldn't look Bad <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah, they kind
0: of look like that. The uh, the Zenith, uh, the shadow. Have you, have you guys seen that one? Yeah. Oh, I love that watch. That's a, that's a dope watch. That could, that could be a lead case,
1: it could, it could. Um, they'd probably have to seal it though, because isn't lead poisoning still a thing? Yeah. Have we evolved away from that? Yeah, or is just don't put it in
0: your mouth or leave it around, Okay. Children? all right, okay. Yeah. All right. No one's yeah. worse for the wear,
1: don't let
2: exactly, it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and probably on the marketing standpoint, maybe just, just go with the Latin plumbium. All right, a little bit less. Yep. Oh, lead. You know, lead paint chips. So, yeah. Hey, I, I turned out just fine.
1: <laughs> so, Gabe, you did mention uh, your your partner in collective uh, Asher. Uh, why don't you give us the backstory a little bit um, on this group that you all have formed? And uh, our our buddy Dustin, we talked with him about it on on his episode. Um, and we, obviously, everybody's. You know, or at least I would imagine the majority of the people who listen to the, this podcast have have heard of a website called Hodinkee and have listened to their podcast where you guys were guests there and know a little bit of it. But give us a little bit of the background on how that started, how you and Asher know each other, and then we're we're eventually going to get into to what got you into watches, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second.
0: Cool. Yeah. So co- collective, um, it's, uh, it's it's. It's basically a, a, a Asher likes to call it a membership organization. I'm like, dude, that that sounds like straight out of you know cor- corporate America. Effectively, it, it you know it's a, it's a collectors group um, or a, or a watch club. Um, but um, what what makes it different is a, cu- a couple of things. One is it's by invitation only, so it's a small um, group of people. And the way we the reason w- why we do it that way isn't to exclude anyone, but it, it's it, the flip side of it is it allows us to have like a really um, sort of controlled experience. Um, and most most importantly, it allows us to be picky about who, who comes into collective. And we have a, a membership process, which we can talk about because we want to make sure it's a fair process um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, we're getting a diversity of, of collectors, not just all people who think or, or are interested in the same thing, but it allows us to be selective about who joins and it allows us um, to, to sort of cultivate that, that group in a, in a thoughtful way. Um, we run collective, you know, primarily through a Facebook group. And the reason why we do that is so that no one has a username or a screen name or anything like that. If I'm, commenting in the group, you know, it's me Um, or Dustin, for instance, if he's commenting, I know, I know it's him and we all know each other. It's a small enough group that we now all know each other, whether we've met each other at an event or we are friends of friends, or we've just known each other through um, collective over the years. And that, that, that introduces civility and the kind of discourse that happens in inside that group is very, very different. Um, Than the discourse that's happening about watches around the rest of the internet. And look, the rest of the internet is amazing. We can talk about how I got into watches, but the first place on the internet I learned about watches 15 years ago was the Poor Man's Watch Forum. Yep. And um, you know the forums are are amazing, and Instagram has been amazing for for watches. And um, and so th- th- there's nothing's wrong with that. But when you know each other. And you can't hide behind a screen name and it's a small group of people. You treat each other um, nicer. But you once that's out of the way, you, there's also kind of like a pressure or an expectation to elevate the conversation a little bit and not just circle around the same stuff constantly. And so, um, for example, in the last month, you know, in the run up to, to Rolex's big announcement, which I know you guys um, covered, no one in our group talked about Rolex there was not one post about Rolex. There was not one post about speculation. There was not one post about, is this a bubble? There's not one post reacting to it. There is not one post of an incoming of, hey, I got my watch. We just didn't talk about it. And that's not to say, like, you know, the, the group wasn't, wasn't active or wasn't dead. We were just talking about other things. And that has been the beauty of Collective. It's a small group, about 55 people. But the diversity and the quality of the conversation that's happening in there is like is very different. And I've learned more about watches from these, you know, 50 something other people in the last year than I learned in, you know, 15 previous years of going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole on the Internet. Because these people are introducing me to new ideas, new perspectives on brands, things I never thought about. Um, and so it, it's I, I think the, the thing that makes the group special is not that it's exclusive, but what that what controlling the membership allows is a more kind of an, an elevated, a safer, more civil, and actually a more diverse conversation about what, what's going on in watches. So we've got the group. We, we do that online. We also have events in person and now on, online. So we know each other not just online, but also in the real world. We've got members all over the world. So we've got folks in Silicon Valley. We've got folks in the Cincinnati area, several actually, um, who are red bar Cincy members, we've got folks in, in Europe, in Asia. So it's, it, it's, it's a global thing. Most people are, are based in California, but it's a, it's a global group. Um, so we, we know each other that way. And then the other thing that collective does that's different and probably the calling card of the group are the collaborations. And that was the whole, really the whole idea the the group was built around was this idea of like, let's start a group of collectors who goes out and builds the watches we want to collect. Um, and so we've done a few, a few, uh, uh, few collaborations. We did two in the last year, uh, one with Zenith, one with JN Shapiro, who's an independent watchmaker based in Los Angeles. And then, uh, we're, we're getting ready. We're gearing up to do our, our next collaboration.
1: Yeah. I remember the, uh, the Zenith, that thing. I still haven't seen it in person yet because Dustin, uh, couldn't make the red bar event after it, uh arrived. And then we all went into lockdown. So still waiting to see that one. Uh, cause that, that one is that that's, it's an amazing piece. The, uh, the, the El Primero that you guys did. Um, I've heard somebody describe it as like, if, if Apple were to like make an El Primero, that would be what it would look like. And they're probably not too far off. I mean, that piece is unbelievable. Um, could you talk a little bit about your inspiration for that one? And then I know we're definitely going to spend some time about the, uh, about the Shapiro
0: yeah, that that one was um, of all the projects we've endeavored in, that that one came came sort of the the easiest. So um, a, a, as I mentioned, like we, you know we started um, we started the group and most of the members are based in in California. And when people talk about collective for whatever reason, they talk about it as a Silicon Valley um, based collectors group. Um, and that just means, like, we started it in Silicon Valley. Um, both Asher and I live in Southern California now, but when we started Collective, we were living, um, we were living in the Bay Area, and and, and uh, we work in we work in technology. Um, so we started it there, and and to celebrate kind of the the first piece and the origin of, of Collective, um, we approached Zenith about kind of doing the the El Primero we we always wanted. Um, which was something that would be very stark, simple, and clean. I love the El Primero, particularly from a technical standpoint and the story of that that movement, um, and, and what and what Zenith accomplished in the first um, you know automatic chronograph is is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a super storied movement, and you know, there isn't a watch nerd who who doesn't love it. It's like people who say they don't like Bob Marley. Everyone loves the El Primero movement. But you know the 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 watches in which they're cased to to be totally honest aren't weren't really my my aesthetic. Um, you know, of course, there's the 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 Chronomaster, the classic tricolor um, yeah. compacts yeah. with the the three different colors for the the, the sub registers. Uh, this is a little too busy for me. I, I'm a I'm a i am am ai like things that are very clean, very minimal. Um, and very stark. That doesn't mean I don't like color. That doesn't mean I don't like things that are funky, but I like them to be simple and focused. And so we set out to design with, together with Zenith and El Primero, that would be a bit different for them. Um, And since we started in Silicon Valley, the the brief we sort of aligned to, or we agreed on with them, like here's how we're gonna approach this watch. And in in every collaboration we do, we start with a creative brief. Um, And the creative brief was let's make an El Primero as if it were designed by a Silicon Valley product designer. So it should be taking all of those cues. It should be minimalist, it should be, it p- should place, uh, you know, function over form, all these sorts of things. And so we ended up with, with a watch that's, uh, you know, very simple, monochromatic white dial, gray, um, gray registers. Um, and it, yeah, uh, it's been described. So one of one of the, 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 the greatest moments in my watch collecting uh, lifetime was when Tim Masso actually did a review of one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the collective uh, Zenith uh, El Primero's and he described it as it, like having an Apple store on your wrist. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, w- w- what's cool about that. It's like the idea comes through, you know, it's, we didn't mm-hmm. with every collaboration we do, we're not trying to do a redial. You know with every brand we approach we want to have a creative concept that guides every watch that we we make and we've done that on every every piece we've we've worked on and, and the ones we're, we're we're still working on these things turn out to take years so we've got several collaborations we're working on now um, and they're all guided by this creative brief and what's amazing is when someone can pick up the watch and say oh this is like having an apple store on your wrist without even knowing the the backstory of the watch that means we did something right and we did something right together um with zenith it's not just a different different colorway. so that that was an amazing moment one i mean tim maso is like just what a what a tour tour de force um but two just to see someone like instantly get get it um and and be able to, to articulate that just it, it meant the world it meant that we had done something um done something special and, and that we had kind of realized what we had set out to do
2: so, Gabe, uh, qu- question on these design briefs. Um, I agree. You, you knocked it out of the park on, on that, zenith. But when you come up with those design briefs, briefs, is that something that you and Asher work on? Is that something that in the course of your discussions as a group you come up with? Uh, I'm, I'm getting the feel that it's not like full-on uh, like forum watch uh, style where people are voting on handsets and stuff like that. That's it's, it's much more of a try to come up with a, a an idea or some sort of, a, of ethos. And then, you know, what, let, let the company. Dude, I, I
0: love the, the forum watch reference. That, that's amazing. Points, serious points that you've spent plenty of time on watch you seek. Nice. Oh yes. <laughs> and, so, and so have I. Um, so good. Point. Every project is different. So the Zenith one came kind of easy and, and that's not to say like, it was such a great idea it wrote itself. Um, but we went in, we w- approached Zenith with that idea. Um, and we, we pitched a design to them. They came with back with a design to us and it very quickly gelled. Um, so that, that was like a linear path, but you know, the, a creative process is very rarely that way. So that the next project we did, which we can talk more about with, with Josh Shapiro was just, serendipity so the, that watch has a, a a meteorite dial that's engine turned or guillocheted and to my knowledge that's the first time that's actually ever been done no one has engine turned or done guilloche on a meteorite dial that's that's um, so
2: weird that, i mean that's a stellar idea it,
0: it blows it, my it, mind. yeah it's like an irving berlin song it seems to have written itself right like it, <laughs> it 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 seems obvious in in retrospect but yeah no that i guess that hadn't been done before Um, But that, that was serendipitous. Asher and I were like in Josh's studio about a year ago down here in in Los Angeles uh, for like a tour. We were just meeting him. We were curious about what he was doing. There wasn't any project on the table. And he had like a chunk of Meteorite sitting on a workbench. and I picked it up and I was just like, what is this? And it led to a conversation about Meteorite. And it led to a conversation of us asking like, well, what do you gonna do with this and he he didn't know and in some ways he was a little bit um josh is like a master craftsman so he is meticulous and he was a little bit nervous about like working with with meteorite because it's a finicky uh, in many different ways it's a very finicky um material and he wasn't quite sure and i think what he got then out of a collaboration with us was, was an opportunity to take a risk that he was a little bit unsure of kind of doing doing on his own. So literally the idea around that watch and doing what we did there came from me, like picking up a rock on his desk that I might not have ever noticed or what I like bumped into it. Um, and then the the project we're working on and we're finalizing now was an agonizing creative process. And that's okay. Um, my, my background previous to to doing collective, my background is in advertising and in creativity. And I can tell you the best stuff I've ever done and the things I'm most proud of in in my career, the work I'm most proud of was the stuff that was really agonizing, where the client sent us back to the well multiple times, where, you know, things got a little bit tense, uh, people pulled their hair out, you know, I, I might have cried in a stairwell or two. And I, that, that honestly was, has been a little bit of the process on this next one. And, and that's not a criticism. Uh, that's not anyone doing anything wrong. That's just the way the creative process is sometimes. And the idea we started with um, on, this, uh, on the next piece we'll launch, which will be a sports watch, I'll, I'll say that. Like the, we started off with a dress watch. And then, and then we started and it ended up a sports watch and, and, and there were other ideas, um, in between, and it was the process of fighting and perseverating and challenging and not accepting good enough to be good enough. Um, and both sides pushing each other and challenging each other and working through a lot of constraints, because we also want to do these things in a way that, you know, it makes sense for the brand to do it makes sense for our members to buy. And so there are constraints. We're not just like doing whatever we want with watches. You know, we're, we're trying to make things that people will want. Um, And that was a gnarly process and the watch is going to, is much better for it. So every time it it's um, every time it's a bit uh, it's a bit different.
2: Honestly, the only way that those two things could be any further apart is if it was a pocket watch and a sports <laughs> watch. Like a saturation diver, you know.
0: Yeah, there was an idea somewhere in the middle of that process that was kind of like a pocket watch to be to be honest. <laughs> So we went from a dress watch to something sort of, de- it was still a wrist watch, but derivative of a kind of a, a pocket watch to then a straight up sports watch.
2: So, like um, a trench watch, it would have been like the collective trench watch. Yeah, it was
0: going to be quite literally. Asher kept calling it a trench watch, and I was like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, so yeah, Buzz, you, you, you nailed Buzz is it. Nailing it. Oh, man, killed it, man. Um, but yeah, like, so every, every time that the process, um, is different. But I think um, the thing we've, we've learned through, we, we had done sort of on this separate from collective, we had done a couple of collaborative watch pro, uh, projects before we had worked on about three different smaller kinds of things. And I'm so glad we did those things because we learned a ton. And the biggest lesson we learned is actually something that Zach Weiss was talking about when he was on your your podcast, which is to be bolder. So the first kind of custom watch we ever worked on with a brand, we just asked for like one change to a dial. Mm. Uh, And then on the second watch, we did a little bit more. And on the third watch, we asked for something that we thought the brand would never approve because they'd probably want it for a production piece for themselves. And they did it. Um, And so every time along the way, we kind of learned that, you know, so we're like you guys, you know, you say you're enthusiasts and not experts. Um, and that's the way we approach this stuff. Like we're, we're fans of the brands that we get to work with. And so we like, you know, when we're meeting the creative director of a brand or a watchmaker who runs, you know, whose name is on the dial or like we approach it with a sense of humility and awe and like, Oh my God, I can't believe we're talking to these people. Like why <laughs> do they want to talk to us? And um it, like, I think the humility is good. You want to be, a you want to treat people with respect and deference and appreciate what they bring to the process and just not tell them like, yeah, oh, what I really want to do this. Like you have to have some respect for the fact that they've forgotten more about watchmaking than you'll ever know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but what we learned is there's a lot more opportunity for us to push and for us to ask, You, you can always ask, Right, and if yeah. they say no, we can't do that. That's okay. But I think the biggest lesson we've learned in, in in all of this is like, one, be bold, push, ask, and then two, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't approve anything until everyone feels really good about it. And It's not just us feeling good about it, um, but the brand has to be excited about it too. Because we need them in this. We not just to make the watch, but um, we rely on on the brands a lot for promoting the stuff, helping drive awareness of it, and and we want we want to have a good reputation as well, and we want them to be excited to work with us again, and we want to have a good reputation in the industry. But yeah, it's just be bold and don't and don't settle. Those are kind of the things that we learned along the way, and and you know it when you know it. When you see the right watch, you know it's like you. I was walking around over over the trench watch, like oh man, I think it's cool in there. And then finally we got got this this next one to a place where everyone was like yes that's the watch and it, that's a breakthrough and you just know it when you see it
2: well i i'd say it's pretty obvious that those uh, couple of warm-up watches that you did before you guys started collective were were uh worth it because that uh, that zenith just that thing's a grand slam it, it's gorgeous and i mean I would say it's a safe, safe thing to say. It was released to pretty universal acclaim. Um, so good, very good work there. Yeah, th- I, thank
0: you. And and the you know the biggest thing we learned with that project was also to trust the watchmaker. Like we went in with the the idea and we stayed true to the idea, but all the details around how to execute it, we deferred to and trusted Zenith. So what you're seeing is literally is a product of of theirs certainly more than it is ours. Uh, we brought them an idea. We've, I even did like, I have a creative background, so I'm, you know, good enough to be dangerous with like, uh, you know, Photoshop and InDesign. <laughs> so I had designed a watch, which was literally the mirror inverse. So instead of a white dial with gray accents, it was a gray dial with white yeah. accents. And they were like, well, that's cute. And then they <laughs> came, they came back to us with, with, um, with the watch we ended up, um, producing. And I was like, yeah, you, you, you guys know what we're asking for better than we do like kudos. Um, and, and they were just super collaborative, um, and, and open to it. And I think once we got on the right wavelength with them around, like, let's not focus on the particulars here, let's always focus on the big idea. What is the idea of this piece and are the decisions we're making paying up to this bigger idea so that hopefully someone will eventually call it an Apple store. Um, uh, on the wrist. And in doing that, we had to, we had to trust them. Uh, And so I think that that's probably like the third, the third big lesson is um, it's like chart, you guys know who Charlie Munger is. He's Warren Buffett's Mm -hmm. business partner in in Berkshire Hathaway. So he says the biggest secret to, you know, success and investing is like, you know, knowing the outer limits of your competency. And, and that, that was one of the things I think we did well and we try to do well, which is defer to the expertise of, of, um, of the people who, who've been doing this for their livelihoods. So let's talk a little
1: bit more about the Shapiro watch that you guys have done, because working with Zenith, a well-known brand storied history with the El Primero is one thing, but then working with Josh Shapiro, uh, granite, you can go. to You can drive to his workshop, uh, since you all are all in Southern California. But totally different experience. But what he is doing is unbelievable. And we talked about it a little bit before we started. That you know he 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 can only produce so many watches a year, but you only want him to produce so many a year because if you tried to upscale that, it wouldn't be what makes what he does what he does. It's an art form. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the difference between those two. And, 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 really let's just talk about what he's doing. Like, I think that's really what we're more interested in because I don't think that many of us are as familiar. I've got a little bit of background from some of the Hodinky articles I've seen some of the other places I've seen his work pop up, but what he's doing in Southern California is unbelievable. And he's engine turning meteorite for your guys' dial. That just sounds, that sounds like something Like, I get to me. I'm You guys were saying like, why hasn't that been done before? I was like, I'm thinking, can you do that? Like, I know Buzz is a mechanical engineer, so he's probably figuring out, okay, I, I work in finance. Can you, I mean, clearly he's doing it, but like, to me, I wouldn't think you could carve up a meteorite, put it on a dial, and then also engrave on it or engine turn it. Like that That blows my mind. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, it, it it blows my mind. So yeah, the, the <laughs> I mean, the story with Josh is an, is an amazing one. Um, in, in terms of, collective you know we talk about the diversity of of the the you know the the folks in our group in terms of um you know what they're interested in and um you know what they collect what they're passionate about what they want to talk about what their taste is all that stuff um but even between me and Asher um who are childhood friends and started this started this thing and do love a lot of the same stuff Asher and I have very different tastes my taste i mean this IWC pilot's watch is a good some, some you know Summary of my taste: I like hard hitting tool watches. I I, I just, I, I love, and I respect a lot of other kinds of watches, but I'm not going to wear a watch really, unless I know I can beat it to shit. Um, there's just <laughs> something about that, um, that. That's important to me. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't appreciate other stuff, but that's just what I wear. And therefore what I, what I collect, I can't afford to collect things I don't wear. And Asher's, kick um is really the indies um and he is a huge fan of student of collector of the indies um you know and that's everything from a guy like josh shapiro who's in california to someone like stepan sarban who's doing weird shit in finland to kari vudelainen you know who's you know reviving you know classical watchmaking at its highest form in in switzerland so and everything in between um that's asher's passion and um the 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 idea with collective was to, to initially to pr- produce collaborative watches in in quantity um and so something like a zenith makes a lot of sense the next watch we're doing makes a lot of sense we can we can produce these things in quantity and these are you know with with manufacturers that people know and have and have, have heard of um And that's just what makes sense. You know, if you're trying to build a community of people, you need to be able to have enough watches to satisfy that community. So we call those watches sort of the main collaborations we do, the collective series or the C series. So the Zenith was the C01. We're launching the C02 soon. The watch with Josh is is our way of doing some crazier shit and supporting independent watchmaking. And so watches that are part of that series are called the portfolio series. And they're called a portfolio series because they're meant to almost be like a showpiece or a portfolio um, of just kind of the, the things we love and hopefully, you know, some of the best, most interesting things in, in, in watchmaking. And we can and, and because they're not part of our, you know, the core collective um, core collective collection we can be more experimental and we can do them at different price points and we can do them in fewer quantities. Um, and so that was our way of, of figuring out how we could do things that were both more mass market, but also support, support the, the Indies and shine a light on the Indies. So about a year ago I was down, I can't remember why I was down in LA for something at that time I was living up in, in Oakland in, in the Bay area And Asher was down here and he's like, I I know this guy. um, I met this guy on Instagram who's making watches down here. And I'm like, "Eh, who the fuck is this? You know, it's like some guy (laughs) probably making watches in his garage. Sure. And I just go along with Asher because there were bagels involved and I like bagels. So we meet Josh at a bagel store somewhere in, I think, Culver City. I'm not too sure exactly where it was. The bagels were amazing, by the way. They they were delicious, and I'm did, did I'm from New York City. It? Uh, no, they don't. It, it's L.A. Bagel. So there's like a pretty good bagel and deli scene um, in in L.A. But you know, I was born and raised in Manhattan in New York City. So my 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 uh, taste level, up there. Mm-hmm. my bar for bagels and for for pizza <laughs> is is very high. I'm willing to give it up for good burritos, and I've made made my peace with it. Um, so the bagels were amazing, and this guy shows up. And it's Josh. And uh, I, 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 truthfully, like the indies aren't my thing. I just didn't really know much about uh, Josh except Asher said, hey, this guy's really doing some interesting stuff. Let's check it out. So I approach it with an open mind. Josh is like, he's got like, you know, like watches in his like coat. You know, it's like the guy who's like selling watches <laughs> on, the, on the street and he opens up his trench coat and it's lined with watches. So Josh has got like watches in his jacket and he's like taking them out and I'm blown away. Um, and it was not what I was, what I was expecting, um, at all. I think he, he's, he's peerless in terms of, uh what, what he's doing. And we'll talk about that in a second. So then Josh is like, Hey guys, I live around the corner. You want to come to my place and check out my workshop? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Cool. So we go to his workshop. It's, it's in his garage. Um, so that part I was right about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in, in his garage, in the back of his house, and now he's moved his, his workshop. He has a proper workshop. He's been able to expand, um, he's got a workshop in LA, a proper facility for, for watchmaking. When you close your eyes and you think of like, what does a small independent watchmaker's, you know, sort of studio or workshop look like? That That's what he has now. But at the time he was doing this out of, um, out of the back of, of his house. His day job uh, is that he's a principal, a school principal. Um, And so he he does the watchmaking in his spare time and in the afternoon. So it's doing it in his garage. Um, And we go, we go in there and he's got everything. He's got a CNC machine going like what he's got um, several um, uh, uh, hand operated engine turning machines or whatever you call them. I have no idea. Um, And he's got everything. He has all the watchmakers bench, you know, everything is in there uh, to, 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 to do what he does. Um, Josh is a student of effectively a student, not quite literally, but in you know spiritually, he's a student of George Daniels and Roger Smith. In fact, he's corresponded with Roger Smith. Uh, li- literally Roger Smith writes him letters, which is, which he showed us. He's like, look, I've got this letter from Roger Smith. And <laughs> Which was, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm looking at a handwritten letter from Roger Smith telling you how to do something engrave a balance cock. I have no idea. <laughs> um, so he's a student of a cl- very classical watchmaking. Um, and his goal, ultimate goal, is to bring watchmaking fully back to American watchmaking, essentially to revive it. And so he wants to be able to do everything in house. Um, getting from where he started to where he wants to go is going to be incremental and he's very smart about it. You know, he has a roadmap in his mind of how he's going to get from starting point A to doing a a truly fully American made watch. The standard for calling something American made is very different from Swiss made. So to call something American made, you guys know your audience, the audience might know uh, everything has to be made and assembled in the U S Swiss made has a different standard. I think it's 60% of components have to uh, come from Switzerland and assembly has to be done in Switzerland. So ironically, the bar for what constitutes Swiss made is much lower than uh, than American made. American made watches, uh, that's the highest standard of any country in in the world. So that's the highest bar to achieve. He would need to be doing everything in-house and or sourcing um, things as needed from suppliers in the U S fabricated in the U S you need a hairspring. It's gotta be from the U S yeah. um, it's, it's crazy. So it's a very high bar. So what, where Josh has started and where his focus is uh, to date has been on doing dials um, and engine turning dials. Uh, and he also, I think does his, uh, his handsets um, in house. He sources his cases from Germany. He sources his movements Uh, from Germany, um, as well, his straps are sourced from, uh, tannery in, in the U S. Um, and so he started with, with dials and he does these very classical dials. So if you've ever seen a Daniel's watch or a Roger Smith watch, his watches kind of look like that. He's, he's focused on, on, on that. He's doing everything. It's truly all machined. Everything about the dial is machined and or handmade here by him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he, he is an expert of engine turning, and he can do amazing things in guilloche. And one thing led to another as we were t- touring the studio and we found this block of, um, of meteorite. And so he started tinkering. With, a- after that, he started tinkering with meteorite and started sending us, uh, Asher and me, messages on WhatsApp of various attempts um, at machining it. At first, he tried to actually cut the meteorite himself, so that he could get what he calls salamis, which are his you know, dials. Um, and the, the meteorite is so hard, it actually broke the saw or the tool he was using to cut it. So he found a guy, I guess, a, a supplier who can cut meteorite, who has the proper equipment uh, to do that and can do it to spec in terms of what exactly he needs. So he got you know basically dial blanks. Um, and then he started uh, experimenting both with engine turning and etching. So you can engine turn and then etching applies a chemical treatment to basically make the make what you've uh, engraved with the engine turn machine uh, with a rose engine um, kind of deeper, clearer, whatever. And because of the idiosyncrasies of meteorite, he had to play a lot between that interplay of uh, engine turning things and etching them and finding the right balance that both... Maintained the engine turning, also maintained the qualities of the meteorite that we wanted to showcase, and eventually he got it there. So once he figured out, yes, I can do this, uh, the next step was to do to work on design uh, and a prototype with us. So then we worked together with him on the watch design. One of the cool things is it features a custom uh, font that he's first used in that uh, in that watch, and you know we worked together with him on all the aspects of of design. But truly, the accomplishment on that watch um, is his in terms of, of, of accomplishing what he did with media. Right. And, um, I mean, one, it was a commercial success. So we sold them all, I think within two days, which is nuts. When we started the project, we were like, we'll be lucky if we sell one, we just want to do this for Josh, which we do. Like we support him and we want to do anything to shine a light on him, but we didn't know if it would be successful. They sold 10 of them sold, um, within like 24 hours, which was wow. nuts and humbling and amazing. And the nature of the people who were interested in that were very different uh, from some of the people in collective. So I think half of them sold to existing collective members and the other half were new members. So that's how we went from 50 to 55. Those five people came in. And so th- these are people who who bring a new diversity to the group because they're really into the world of Indies. And for a lot of these people, you know, basically commissioning a watch was no, was no big deal uh, or something that they do. It's a big deal, but you know, they do it. um, It's a really big deal. It's personal to them, but they do it with some frequency or, or they've, um, or they've done it before. And so that was great. But more than that, um, the watch has been entered in the, in the GPHG, um, which, which is amazing. Um, And there's stiff, stiff competition, uh, it's uh, the category is uh, it's essentially it's kind of like the, the, the category for effectively like art watches or watches that, um, um, you know, showcase craft. And so he's entered in that in that category. You have, have to effectively be nominated to be entered. So he was nominated to be entered. And then the judges effectively have to nominate you. So then uh, there'll be another process where they determine of all the watches entered, there's about a dozen which are technically nominated and then which wins. But just to be part of that discussion is like a, is a breakthrough for everyone. It's, it's amazing.
2: Okay. So, so let's, let's, let's go back a little bit though. Um, Did you ever ask how he got the media right? Like, is is this a a sideline of those companies that, that, what your name a star <laughs> like is this for like the high rollers you can actually buy it's to, no it's totally legit
0: i think this so is the sample i initially found in his office i think he said he got it on ebay nice um you can get anything on ebay and then for for the watches he's he's sourced a very particular kind of um meteorite that um has very tight graining so some meteorite, uh, there, there's different kinds of meteorite and some are better for machining and working and making watch dials out of. What you want is one with very tight graining so you effectively don't have kind of holes or spots in, in the dials. So I think it's sourced from some famous me, you know, meteorite deposit in, in Africa um, It's a very particular kind of meteorite um, that, that he's working with here and that he made sure to use. And I'm not exactly sure how he sourced that, but he's been able to determine the, the, the provenance and, you know, he, he gets it and he can tell by the graining what kind of meteorite it is. So you can't just use any kind of meteorite. Um, this, that's all part of the learning process, I guess, for figuring this stuff out. Well,
1: And I mean, Ugh, I think the crazy thing, thing about out. that too is to not, to not know where, just in, in the grand scheme of things, this is very concept, but like nobody knows where that meteorite originated. Like we can have an idea space dude. but well yeah thanks thanks for that <laughs> thanks for stating the ice space yes it's where it came from that that is i mean there's going to be 10 of these watches that have an engine turn dial with done in meteorite that we have no we really have no idea where it came from like let's be real we can have a good idea but like that's only in the last probably 50 or 60 years that we could have a general good idea like it came from space like Buzz said, space it's where it came from <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's totally cool. I mean, so neat. For, for the folks who are lucky to, to to you know, who, who will take delivery of that watch, it's like, one, you've just got like a cool, from just a purely watchmaking standpoint, it's like, you've got sort of a, what's a horological first. And like, that's cool. And you've got something you basically commissioned and has made, made for you. Everyone who ordered one of the watches is able to customize it um, with different engravings. Some people chose a different case size. Some people chose different... Um, you know, made customizations to different uh, plates and materials and things like that. So everyone's got this this special watch and this horological sort of first. And then you've got a watch that literally came from outer space. I mean, it's like it doesn't get any cooler. And you're buying it from a guy who is a, most importantly, a total sweetheart. Anyone who meets Josh will tell you, um, he's just a genuinely kind, sweet, good person i mean just being in his presence you feel like a jerk uh, because he's just so so nice like by comparison anyone else is an asshole um but but two you're you're supporting someone who's you know a passionate master craftsman and is taking you know doing something really brave and really um really unique um and pouring his heart into it and that that's that's kind of amazing too
1: oh absolutely Oh, for sure. I mean, it, 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 that, that project is, that's, that's such a neat project to, I got to imagine to be involved in that one, it's something wholly unique and it's supporting a craftsman who is amazing at what he does. And, and, and like you said, you described him as one of the nicest, one of the nicest people you've met. I mean, that's, that's got to, that's got to be amazing.
0: Yeah, I think it, it was a, the whole thing is like a humbling experience for me that, that world of watchmaking of kind of the haute horology independence to, to be honest, that's not really my scene. Um, and in the, in the independent world, I'm much more into kind of like the brands that show up at wind up, you know, like mm-hmm. wind up is my, my favorite, um, event. And I was so lucky that they, you know, they couldn't do it this year, but the last two years they'd done it, um, not just in New York, but in San Francisco in my, in my backyard, And it was like my favorite day of the year, you know, like meeting all these people, meeting other watch people, you know, brands were using it as a platform to launch new watches. Like I saw some, you know, like, you know, I I think I was one of the first people to see like the Helios, uh, the Fairwind and the, uh, it's the Universa, I think it is. Um, and it's, it's like this magical event. And like part of what's magical about it is you're kind of curious about a brand like, um, you know, Laurier or Damasco or Manta or whatever. And then you actually meet these people and you're like, Oh my God, they're so nice. And they're so passionate and they're so unpretentious and they're doing this from their heart. And like, you just love them and appreciate them even more. And I think I'd seen like the, the other independents or the more expensive independence in a different way. I sort of thought of it as like this kind of this rich bitch thing, um, And, you know, that's not to say sometimes it isn't or it can't be, but like when you meet the people behind those brands, they're this, you know, they're operating maybe with with different materials and different capabilities or doing more in-house or what, you know, whatever it is and a different price point, but like they're people too, you know, and they do it, you know, from a place of passion too. And like, you know, Josh sells his watch for a lot more than, um, you know, laurent and and lorenzo from from laurier but he he's just those two are by the way some of the nicest kindest sweetest they, people oh, ever meet, as you guys know we, they mean, are
1: they're fantastic guys.
0: josh is on their level in terms of just sweetness you know and like and so that that's i think what's great about the independence um at any price point and you know it's not just the independence either some of the nicest people I've met in the watch world, from from a from a manufacturer, from a brand, are the people at AP. And like you would never guess that. Wow. You would you would never guess that. Um, but it's an independent brand. It's a quite literally a family owned business. Uh, the people who work there have worked there for a long time, and they're actually not pre- really pretentious at all. They're really sweet, kind people. In collective, we've done some projects with them, not not watches. But I was just like floored by how nice they were and how eager they were to work with us and how kind and deferential they were and curious about us and our members and um see so, so you never know. That's not to say there aren't jerks in the watch world. There are, and you know, when people say there aren't, they're they're bullshitting you. There yeah. there definitely are some jerks in the watch world, right or wrong. Um but yeah, I mean the the independence across the board, I think are really special and what they share, you know, while they might be different in terms of their collector base or their price point or their approach to watchmaking or design, they all come at it with such heart. Um, and there's really kind of no difference whether you're talking about the Groenfeld brothers or Mike and, J- and Justin at, at Monta. like they they're all lovely people. Um, and I that's probably a really obvious and trite comment on the watch world, but I think it's easy to look at the end of the, you know, the higher end independence and think like, oh that's not for me. That's fancy. And, um, maybe someday it will be, maybe it'll never be, but the people are just as great.
2: That's, that's really cool to know because there's absolutely nothing trite about that. I mean, we we've been very fortunate to have a lot of really wonderful guests uh, on our humble podcast here. And, um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, Justin was our first uh, first guest uh, of a brand, and I was a little nervous, right?
1: We, I, oh I, yeah, we were definitely nervous. We were
2: nervous. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we we you had pointed out earlier that we are enthusiasts and not experts, and uh, yeah, we, we we picked that tagline because it's accurate. You
1: know,
2: um, <laughs> we we just like watches. We have. I I'll speak for myself. I have zero special expertise and, uh, yeah, just a, a, a really lovely group of people that are, um, yeah, you you can tell that they do it because there's, there's this passion and they're completely unassuming and just so friendly. And, um, yeah, we we've been, it's really, it's been incredibly fortunate to, to meet all of all these different people in the watch world and uh, just to see so much uh, heart and humanity to it.
0: Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of, of um, Monta. I mean, buzz that, that's how we met was, was over, you know, the, the sale of a Monta watch on forums. Um, and you know, like one of my favorite watches that I still have is the, is the Atlas. And I think it's a very singularly Monta watch. I think a lot of their other watches you can say, and every you know, every idea borrows from other ideas, but you know, it's like, there's a strong relationship between, you know, GMT master and a sky quest, um, or, you know, the, the ocean King in a submariner and that's great. That's, that's, mm-hmm. cool. I'm not d- dinging that, but I think what I love about the Atlas so much is it's a singularly Manta watch. It's not really borrowing from or doesn't share a comparison to really anything else. It's kind of a pure expression of what, of what they do. And you know, when you like, I remember going to like the last windup I went to and meeting all these people and being like, Oh, they're so nice. And so, and I was like, Oh God, am I being manipulated? Like, is this, you know, marketing? (laughs) Am I just thinking these watches are cool? You know, because I, I met the Laurier folks or I met the, you know, the Icklers who run the uh, Archimede and a number of other brands. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think so. I think Monta is a great example. Like when, you know, Mike and Justin and the passion with which they operate their business and um, the intensity they have around quality and getting things right. Yes, you love them and appreciate them on a, on a level, but I actually think it clarifies your appreciation of the watch because then you can look at the watch and you can look at how like the indices on your SkyQuest or any of their other watches, you know, look at them under a loop. You know, they are they are finished immaculately. Um, you know everything about those watches oozes quality. That new bracelet clasp that they have with the sort of the yes. that that, ex, <laughs> that glide lock type system. Sweet. It, yes. it, I mean, can you name another micro brand, right, or a competitor of theirs that's doing anything remotely at that level of quality? Nope. And that level of quality is a reflection, and it comes from them. Pushing on everything, demanding the finest, not resting on their laurels, listening to the people, truly listening to their customers and always striving to be better and do better and, and, and deliver the finest. So, you know, you could feel manipulated and feel like oh, I just like these watches because I like the people, but I think that they can actually be a really good clarifying lens on appreciating the product itself.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I I can remember now, I think they announced it on their website slightly before our podcast aired, just depending on timing. But we were talking about, you know, everybody always says the Ocean King clasp and this. And it was funny, we weren't using the software that we're using now to record. So we were doing this on a Google Meet. And it was weird because it, it wouldn't let us see like a gallery view like this does. So like every time I would be talking, somebody like if buzz had just talked, he would be on screen. So you could kind of hear in that episode, every time we asked a question or somebody else asked a question and then Justin started talking, he'd pop up on the screen and that would be the first time we saw it. And he goes, it's funny. You should mention that class because here's our prototype. We're launching this next week. And he showed it to us and you could hear me buzz and Evan just go nuts. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it was, it was like, it Dude, was, uh, that, it was that
0: clasp is the shit. And anyone it is. who owns, so good. owns a Manta." They will, I think they, at least they did when they launched, they'll sell you that, that yep. bracelet, buy it. Yeah. It's so, it is so good. You,
2: it, it's so good. The the bracelet is sweet. The clasp is awesome. And on top of that half links, I mean, it's, it's impossible to not get the best fit of your life. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's great, and they keep improving that watch. So, like Buzz, the the watch you've got, the SkyQuest, um, and part of this could be a movement supply thing. I know they've talked publicly about issues they have getting getting um, uh, movements, but your your SkyQuest has uh, a top grade. Uh, ETA movement in it. So you've got the elaborate grade, uh, whatever is a 2893 or what, whatever the, the GMT movement is from, from ETA. That's an upgrade over my, um, over my Atlas, which has a ETA movement in it, same movement, but it's not decorated. And so, and I've seen on Instagram that a lot of the newer, uh, the newer atlases and the sky quests have that top grade ETA movement. And to me that, com- that actually, com- I, I know it's like with the movements, especially if you're buying from ETA and maybe Salida as well, you kind of have to take what you can get. Everyone mm-hmm. is constrained about the movements, but that, that decorated movement completes the thought on that watch because in every other way, it is the, Best of what it is kind of at that price point and with that competitive set and then when you put that top grade movement in there with that display case, case back it just completes the thought so like it sucks a little bit if you're you know an earlier gen monta owner um but you know it's like because you you look at the newer stuff and you're like, i didn't get that clasp, i didn't get that movement um or you know whatever it is but um I think it's a testament to the fact that these guys don't rest on their laurels and they're constantly pushing and making it better and not actually asking for much credit for doing it, but just doing it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So I know we've gone over an hour at this point, but we still need to ask just at least one, one question about what got you into watches, what the, the specific watch was. And then since we can't dive into the whole collection, let's talk about what's been getting the most risk time recently. So that's, I think that's three questions, but you do a good we job. We can of answer it all together. with
0: one, one watch. will answer it all. Oh, her, oh right? okay. That makes and it easy. <laughs> I've got it right here. Yeah. This is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a good one. Um, so I've got, I've got a brother who's 10 years older than I am and everything that I thought was cool as a kid came through him, you know, so he was watching MTV when I was, you know, in kindergarten, um, the bands I, I even still like to this day came to me through, through him. Like everything came to me, th- cultural came to me through, through my brother. And, um, you know, he, he had a SWAT. We grew up in the eighties. He had a swatch watch. I thought that was really, that was really cool. But the, the watch that I remember where I was like, that is really cool. Was a fake Rolex that he had. So <laughs> after he, he, he went to, he went to like law school, and graduated from law school, and then moved back in with with our family because he was like a pe- or no, it was before law school, so he hadn't yet gone to law school. He was a paralegal, and he had he was living with us, um, yeah, you because know, we're living in New, New York, York City, City and rent ain't cheap. So he <laughs> was a paralegal, not making that much money, um, you know, hoping to go to law school and living living with mom and dad. And, you know, he was working at some, I guess, fancy New York law firm or whatever and wanted to fit in. So one day on his way home from work, he bought a fake Rolex from another guy with like a trench coat yep. outside of Bloomingdale's, like at the subway station. And I, th- I think the guy had like a briefcase and this is classic. They would have like a briefcase. They would stand outside the subway station by Bloomingdale saying Rolex, Rolex, and the police would come and they would close the briefcase and run away so he brought some cheap shitty you know quartz operated <laughs> uh fake coke gmt master and i re- and he would wear it because you know it's like he wanted to fit in or look the part or what, whatever it was um or you know maybe he was one of those people that's like i don't know why you spent all this money on watches i've got this quartz you know and there's nothing wrong with quartz i've got this timex right here and there's nothing wrong with time timex that tells time just fine um, so he had the fake Rolex and I thought it was the coolest thing. And, um, he would like, sometimes I guess if he wasn't wearing it, he would like put it in his desk drawer in his bedroom. And I would like sneak in there if he wasn't in the house and like look at it and put it on. Um, and then the, the best part about this is one day he was riding the subway to work and the watch exploded, It like <laughs> spontaneously combusted. The bezel and the crystal popped out on the sixth train, somewhere between 86th Street and 59th Street. Um, and he had the, he like picked up the pieces of the, of the watch from the floor and had them in that desk drawer. And I remember like going into his bedroom, being like, if I can just figure out how to, you know, how to like fix this watch, maybe like he'll give it to me and I can wear it now. Um, so, the platonic ideal of a watch. Like when I close my eyes and I think about a watch, it's a, it's a Coke GMT master. And I love five digit Rolex references. I've had a few over the, over the years, but all of them were kind of a proxy for the Coke GMT master. So I had like a, a really great example of a, of a fourteen zero six zero M Submariner. I had a great um, Explorer two but they weren't quite the Coke and I just couldn't like justify the price. I was like, they keep getting more expensive and more expensive. And finally I was just like, you know what? That's the one I really want. I was in a mode probably you guys have experienced this maybe where you want to like consolidate the collection. Like it gets to be too much. And I was in that mode and I consolidated a few things into a Coke GMT master. Um, and so I've accomplished in one watch now what I had in like two or three Rolexes before. And I've got like the one example in the collection and it feels great. And, and it gets um, it, it definitely gets the most um, gets the most risk time. And every time I look at it, I think of like that first watch that I just thought was so cool. And like there's something about it now that feels like shit, man. I've come full circle. Like I've got, I've got, I've got the watch that when I was 13 years old, I, I thought was, you know, the end all be all. Um, and <laughs> I remember I was so excited. I showed it to my, my, my brother at one point and he was like, yeah, man, that watch was really a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, he was like just wasn't impressed. He was still burned by the fake Rolex oh. that exploded in, on, on the subway. Like he'll, he'll never get over it.
1: Gosh. No, uh, that's a fantastic story, though. That is very. It is cool. an absolutely fantastic story.
2: <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing more that that you could add to that. I mean,
1: that's that's hilarious. Well, and yeah. the fact that your older brother's still not impressed
0: like that. No, he, I mean, you know, we all have the people in our lives, right, who just don't. And like, hey, there are lots of other hobbies we don't care about, and right, we don't get. <laughs> Totally. He just doesn't, you know, it's like, he's like, yeah, I guess I kind of had that and it sucked. Like good for you, man. (laughs) But Hey, next time we'll talk about stamp collecting.
2: There we go. Yeah. The whiskey and stamp collecting podcast. Yes. So,
1: I mean, I think that that is just a fantastic story to end on. So Gabe, we really appreciate you taking the time to, Hang out with our, our humble little podcast, even though all three of us weren't here. Um, it's really cool. You guys have been doing the the mainstream stuff, like you said. That's that's uh, you know the the Apple Store for your wrist. We're looking forward to seeing the uh, dress watch turn trench watch turn sport watch that, that's going to be coming out uh, next. And it's it's really cool the portfolio collection. You know, kind of working with some independent watchmakers like Josh, um, doing something that's wholly unique and you know, obviously. We're pulling for him at GPHG, so uh we really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with us tonight.
2: Yeah, I am uh, super glad that, uh, that I bought that Monta off of you because it not only was a great watch. By the way, the guy's a great seller, um, but uh, <laughs> it also led to this podcast episode, which I think is pretty cool, too. So yeah, I can't, well thanks.
0: thank you guys for for having me. I really appreciate it. Buzz, I'm like uh, so glad we met and like this is just the way the watch world is. and Like that that's what's awesome about it. Um, if anyone wants to know more about Collective, you can go to collectivehorology.com. You can also follow us um, on Instagram at collectivehorology. And um, yeah, stay tuned. We're, we're hoping to, to release something in the next uh, couple of months. But in the meantime, if anyone has questions on our website, you can find out how to get in touch with us and we'd, we'd be happy and we'd love to chat um, with, with anyone and talk more.
1: Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Gabe. And uh, we hope everybody enjoyed that. We'll, uh, we'll catch you all next time. See ya. Thank you for listening
2: to another episode of the whiskey and watches podcast if you like what you hear please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts we are enthusiasts not experts so don't at us but you can find us on instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast also visit our website at zeitzwatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T-Z.